Welcome to What I Didn't Tell My Therapist with me, Leela Davis, and Jude Gorini. And we're welcoming David Greenleaf, uh, an amazing life coach and inspirational individual. He's, uh, he's sharing some pretty juicy details about his self-healing journey and uh, why he's the beautiful rebel that he is. Hey, David, welcome to, welcome <laughs> to what, what I didn't call my therapist or what I, what I didn't tell my therapist. I don't even know the name of the show. <laughs> <laughs> They don't need to know either. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't need to know. <laughs> We're just here. That's all that matters. So welcome to That's what right. I didn't tell my therapist. And David Greenleaf is a brand new blogger, podcaster, and life coach with goals of inspiring mental wellness and social justice. David's blog can be found at Greenleaf for Life with a four dot blog. David has an extensive experience on his own journey of mental health recovery, including, but not limited to, PTSD, depression, anxiety, addiction, and codependency. He uses his lived experience, education as a social worker, sense of humor, and passion to serve others. Currently, he is a high needs case manager for a nonprofit helping children navigate behavioral health services. David works with a variety of people to support the kiddos, including parents, foster parents, clinicians, DCS, inpatient hospitals, group homes, and residential facilities. <laughs> I'm getting tired just re <laughs> reading your, your work there. While while working with the kiddos can be gratifying, it is very stressful and does not pay a living wage. David's latest project as blogger, podcaster, life coach was fueled by a drive to help people thrive beyond trauma and quite frankly, make it a freaking living doing it. David is all about challenging broken systems, living his dreams and inspiring others to do the same. Watch out because he is on fire and making some moves. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Kudos to whoever wrote that. that yeah, was <laughs> yeah. That person must love you very much. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny is that I wrote that prior to putting in my notice at that job. So now I'm going to sound like a real asshole because it's like, yeah, he used to great. He works with these kids, but now he doesn't want to do that anymore. So anyway, we'll get, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking that cause you had, you had recently, uh, like sent me a text message saying that you are putting in your notice or have you, you've already put in your notice. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I sent that email off yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. mm -hmm. Ooh. Well, you wow. had you had mentioned Love that. Yeah. <laughs> is this does this have anything to do with the broken system? Yeah, actually those uh very words were in the email that I sent to the director. <laughs> oh wow. Um Yeah. Yeah, I um you know, the thing is is, is I see the need to help the kids, the the um, the vulnerable populations, 
you know, and particularly kids who are, you know, caught in the crossfire and have behavioral health challenges, are tossed around from group homes and hospitals and stuff, you know, I, I really feel for them. And I never thought I would work with that population because it's so heartbreaking um, and reminds me a lot of my childhood. But uh, anyway, um, so there's this thing, though, that it feels like, you know, the, the social work credo, you know, here is that I I need to do the work that other people don't want to do, you know, in order to help these poor kids. And at the same time, you're right, it's a broken system. Um, I've, uh, they don't pay a living wage, first of all, I can make more, you know, humping boxes in a warehouse than as a, you know, a social worker with a degree that's in charge of, you know, coordinating services and the lives of these kids, uh, and is dealing with crisis on a daily basis. And, and also, it's just, it's ridiculous. There's just not enough resources and you have to, kids have to go through this process of failing at a lower level of service in order to qualify to get a higher level of service when it's clear they need a higher level of care, but the way the insurance companies run it, you got to jump through these hoops and waste a lot of time and mental health and energy. I, you know, watching these poor kids flail with suicidal uh, ideations and attempts and uh, in and out in their their home life, you know, their poor families are just, you know, in upheaval also. And it's like the kid would be better off if we could send them to this one facility now, but no, we got to screw around for a couple of months and make them fail at a lower level of care. And it, it's just, it's maddening. It's frustrating. <laughs> so I'm just, yeah. My mental health had to come first, you know, like yeah. they say, if you're on an airplane and the oxygen mask comes down, put the mask on yourself before you put it on the person next to you. And my mental health was deteriorating uh, working at that job. And I, I'll just say this and be quiet about it because we got other things I'm sure to talk about. No, but I was it's... operating under this sort of guilt obligation duty kind of thing like i've got to do this job you know because i'm a bad person if i quit this job and, yeah. and that's not why i got into this work i got into it because of passion you know for helping folks and i i'm not going to be guilted into anything so anyway yeah no i i go. hear that there's a lot of burnout in the social work field you know just the way it's set up so yeah my heart goes out to you yeah, well, thank you, and I and I don't want to necessarily put a downer on the whole podcast, but yeah, it's to me it's a positive thing that I finally have come to this place in my life where I'm like I recognize what my wants and needs are. I was journaling about it, and I wrote, "I feel stuck," and I'm like, "Okay, you're not stuck. <laughs> you have a lot of privilege and freedom, actually, that you can make some choices. They might be scary, and <laughs> you know, but I have a lot of options, so." It, it was a very liberating experience to finally come to that decision. And that is amazing because, you know, and I, and I think that this is connect, uh, um, has a huge connection with the life coaching part because you are aware of the points and the limits and all of that to be able to say, hey, as you said, I am stuck. No, I'm actually not stuck. I have options and all of this. So. It's great that, and I think that this is, can resonate with you, Lila, as well, like doing all these um, self-healing and self-care um, 
work, you can actually suddenly realize, hey, I need to see myself first before I can help someone else. And, and that is just great, you know? So starting with your story, what do you feel comfortable telling? You were saying that you had um, similar experiences as these children. Like, how did you, you know, what resonated with you when you were working with them? Sure. Well, I've changed the names to protect the innocent, except that nobody was innocent. So, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, there's the full expose. No, I'm just kidding. Hold on, mom, if you're listening, you might want to sit down. No, um, no, she was there. She knows. Um, yeah, so I grew up, um, I, I'm comfortable sharing a lot. I, oh, okay. I've been in recovery. Yeah, I've been in recovery for a long time. And so I'm, I'm pretty much an open book. And if you read my blog, I, I probably actually self-disclose too much. But um, anyway, yeah, I was raised uh, in a very abusive environment uh, by a man whose uh, primary modes of parenting involved rage and criticism and physical violence. Um, I saw a lot of physical violence, um, whether it was inanimate objects or directed at me or my mom or whatever. Um, and I was terrified. I was a terrified little kid. And uh, alcoholism was a big part of that. Uh, my family tree, I, I, I say that my family tree, if it were a trailer park, alcoholism would be the tornado that roared through it. You know, it's just, there was a lot of uh, suicides and deaths and just, I didn't really know my uh, paternal and maternal grandparents very well. They died young of the disease. And um, so it was just, you know, I'm a child of chaos. Um, you know, I, I grew up, uh, like I said, just terrified and very driven to be, um, to get approval, to have, uh, to be perfect. You know, I, I was always the class clown that was trying to get the best grades in school and I wanted the attention of the, the girls and the approval of the teachers. And I mean, I was the theater kid. I was in sports. I was just like trying to be all things to all people to prove that I was lovable. Basically, I didn't know that until later. But, mm. you know, um, so my attachment style is pretty skewed. I, I probably have somewhere between the anxious, avoidant, and disorganized <laughs> attachment styles. So I'm just like, I love you. Get the hell away from me. I need you. Please leave me alone. You know, it's it makes it very hard for the women in my life. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and me, it's very frustrating because I, like most people, I think just want to be loved and love in return. But anyway, so that was kind of it. Um, my dad told me that I had a, he said at the time I had a 75% chance of being an alcoholic. I don't know where he got those numbers from. I think statistics are made up about 66% of the time. So, um, <laughs> I, um, so what I found in my life as I got older, uh, I was a I got into acting. I was at uh, LA County High School for the Arts as a theater arts major. I auditioned to get into that school and was going to school with kids that were in movies and TV. And I was living my dream and well on my way. 
And then I got introduced to crystal meth and alcohol and marijuana and LSD. <laughs> and I, so I say basically it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll sort of ruined the acting career. And, um, and I was somebody that as soon as I ingested, add, you know, insert uh, whichever chemical, it made me feel alive. You know, it made me feel like I could be myself. I was more creative. I was more relaxed. I could talk to the girls. I could write more poetry. I could shoot pool better. I could just do all these things. It just took away that that nagging feeling inside of me that I was, uh, pardon the vernacular, but a piece of shit, you know? Um, and I definitely am somebody who qualifies as an addict because from the very beginning as soon as i took some i wanted more and i was off to the races and i just dove in um you know there was no thought or effort or control i mean i remember being 16 years old and being strung out looking in the mirror seeing what looked like a skull looking back at me because i was so emaciated from lack of sleep and eating thinking i gotta stop and i was 16 and i i could not stop yeah. And so, you know, drugs were my solution for that feeling of never being good enough. It made, it was what I've learned later. It was a shortcut to a spiritual experience. You know, it made me feel connected to the divine and the divine was who I thought I really was inside, who I really wanted to be. And I chased that feeling for a long time. So that's kind of the story in a nutshell, at least the yeah. backdrop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My God, but already at 16 years old, you started with all the drugs and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, no, no, you know, there's no judgment in here because I, am, like, I have basically your same um, journey because I started at 19 and it was crack and then I moved to crystal meth, meth and cocaine and all of that. But at 16, is like, wow, um, because in Italy is impossible, <laughs> I don't think that it's kind of impossible to that age, like probably in the age you have the marijuana that is like already, oh, wow, you're like a drug addict. <laughs> and, right. <laughs> but to arrive to 16, how made you jump to that at that young age? Like, I know that you talked about, that you said about, you know, I tried the, I tried and make me feel different, much more open, much more creative and all of this. But what was that point that you're like, okay, let me do it. Let me jump. Well, you know, as is most poor decisions I've made it. A lot of it has been under the umbrella of trying to get the approval of somebody. Yeah. And it's usually a woman <laughs> because okay. that was the most comfortable feeling I'd ever experienced, you know, I mean, and so the yeah. very first time, you know, I went out to a, uh, it was my next door neighbor. She was like 23, you know, and I was 16 and I was so excited that she wanted to take me out to party, you know, and, so she took me to a number of different stops on the way to said party and anything she suggested that I do, I did. 
So, Whoa. yeah. So our first stop, we had a little glass pipe that we smoked some stuff I'd never seen before out of. And she's like, here, try this. I'm like, sure. <laughs> the next stop, you know, was here. There's a little piece of paper I'm going to put under your tongue. Try this. Okay. You know, and I'm maybe to a fault. I am somebody who's always willing to try something once. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But if there's a, a, a beautiful woman who's showing me interest and attention and is suggesting it, I'm a sucker. I will. I have started smoking cigarettes again after not smoking for 12 years because I was with someone who smoked, you know, I'm, yeah. so my boundaries mm -hmm. have been historically really poor when it comes to the approval of somebody with a pretty face. You know? yeah. So that was the decision, you know, was I want to fit in, you know, I, yeah, I remember, yeah. Jude, the first time I smoked cigarettes was because my younger brother had smoked already. And I couldn't handle that my younger brother was already smoking. And I wasn't, you know, my ego <laughs> was like, no, you know, and I, so I had to no. smoke. And I, and I choked that Marlboro Red down and I remember it tasted, it burned and it tasted like crap and it made me feel like I wanted to throw up and gasp and all this stuff. And I was like, I need to keep doing this to learn how to do it and look cool, you know? Right. <laughs> and to look cool. <laughs> yeah. So yes, trying to fit in and look cool has been my undermining. <laughs> because I just wanted to be loved and to belong, yeah. you know? And and so well, I would yeah. do stupid shit to yeah. do that. Yeah, I mean the there's that that drive to be loved, like but it was also I would imagine since your father was a rageaholic that you that was also a coping strategy of survival because they have that you know um the it's the the fight fight freeze and then befriend is another you know, so that's a coping mm -hmm. strategy. It's like, I need to be, to know what everybody wants, you know, satisfy all their wants so they won't kill me. <laughs> I mean, deep mm -hmm. down inside, that's where it comes from. Besides, because everybody mm -hmm. wants to be loved, but there's different ways of getting love. I mean, we can be our authentic selves and be, and trust that we will be love because we feel love inside. But then if you have that extra layer of needing to actually survive because you're, you're taking that scenario that you were born into, into the rest of your life. I mean, that's part of the reason why people, you know, they have these coping strategies that don't quite yeah. work in normal circumstances, you know? So it, it's mm -hmm. totally understandable that that was a part of your your journey. Um, you you mentioned that that AA has been a huge part of your your healing journey. Um, when did that come into the picture? And like, who initiated you? Did you have another kind of a guide into healing as you had to uh, you know? <laughs> Yeah, well, it's funny that you, I mean you mentioned that because the the irony of it is is that my dad introduced me to AA and um, you know and I've had a <laughs> I've had a love hate relationship oh. with Alcoholics Anonymous for years and I, and I recognize I'm I'm violating one of their traditions by talking about it so I'm just gonna put out the disc the 
qualifier here that I am not a spokesperson for Alcoholics Anonymous. Please do not judge AA based on my journey. The program works 100% of the time. I, however, have not worked it 100% of the time. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, these are just my opinions. So um, there we go. Now I can talk freely. Um, <laughs> or not, I'll kill you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the cult. No, anyway. So, yeah. So my... So my dad got sober in 1982, and when I was six years old, uh, shortly thereafter, he had a psychotic break because he had untreated bipolar one with mm. some serious trauma. He had psychotic episodes and like lost his shit. And that was a huge part of my trauma that uh, I haven't mentioned yet. But um, anyway, as I got older, well, I mean, even as a younger kid, before I started using any sort of substances, we went to Alateen, you know, my mom went to Al-Anon, we were just a regular Ala fucking family, you know, and, and it was social hour for me at that time. But then when I got to be 16 and strung out and he attempted to take me to AA meetings and, you know, the thing is, is it doesn't work unless you want it and you do it. And there's that small window of willingness in every alcoholic or drug addict where they're like, what I'm doing no longer works. I will try anything. And it doesn't come very often. And I, it, I did not experience it for at least another 13 years. Yeah. So I kind of went in and out of AA a lot. But I will credit my father with having, as they say in the program, planted the seed. Right. You know? Right. Yeah, he planted the good and the bad seeds, it sounds like he planted both well like, yeah yeah <laughs> he planted the reason to do it and then also the opportunity <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly and then i had to get to a point eventually in my recovery where i stopped blaming my father no you know? no no, no. But, I didn't, but he's yeah yeah i didn't mean to be i didn't mean to like because i'm yeah it's all about taking personal responsibility for sure um yeah that must have but been i always blame my mother <laughs> I always blame my mother. Jesus, Lisa Mark, it's your fault. It's your fault. And I still struggle with that, though. I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, I just did another fourth and fifth step last weekend, and my dad was still all over that friggin' inventory, you know? Yeah. So it's... Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, I mean... It... Oh, go ahead, Jude. You go ahead. No, no, I'm saying uh, it's also because they are the example when we are kids. Like we grow up in that family and we think that that is family. And if they are doing something bad or they are doing something good, we still accept because in our eyes, they are our mother and father and all of this. Is that growing and saying like the abusive or the violence and all of that is that when you start to click and say, oh, this is something wrong. This is something that is not supposed to happen. But then you don't, since they are your comfort zone, you don't have the strength. Sometimes you have the strength and the power to come out and say, hey, I need help because you will feel guilty of putting them in a, in a certain place that they are not supposed, not that they are not supposed, that in your eyes they are not supposed to go and be. Like I probably, when I was in school, I killed my mother many times. I was going to the teacher saying she's got killed. 
Mm. I shot, somebody shot her, you know, but um, and they were actually asking to my mother, where is Ivan's ma uh, Jude's mother, uh, uh, mother? And my mother was like, oh, it's, it's, I am his mother. And, uh, <laughs> and like, awkward. oh yeah, but uh, yeah, awkward moment. Um, but, but it was my way to, um, to block up the violence because I grow like, it was in a different way, but I grow up um, with my mother that she she was a sort of alcoholic. She she became an al more more alcoholic in my teenage years, but uh, you know um, when I was a child, I couldn't see, I couldn't understand what, what, why she was acting funny or why she was suddenly really mad against me or was suddenly really happy and whatever it was i thought that that was normal and uh, it was the same thing when at 26 they were like oh you are bipolar and i'm like oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> so that means that for my entire life until 26 um my mind was somehow let's call fucked up and people they don't live in that way and the doctor was like no they are normally they don't have this i'm like oh wow so for 26 years it was just a lie and mm. it was the same thing with the relationship with my with the family mm -hmm. i say that david you mentioned your your yeah. father had bipolar one and my father was undiagnosed he also had bipolar and i had inherited it from him um at least that epigenetics one would say um did you get any of that juicy goodness uh <laughs> from some of that that mental health uh, volatility um come your way yeah yeah i mean the jury's still out and i have some theories about this so i'm wearing a shirt right now you can't probably see it but it says okay. keep talking i'm diagnosing you yeah and um <laughs> i and i and I, I wear it in jest because i abhor diagnoses i i just i i understand why we have them and i've studied labelless theory and blah 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 but anyway so to answer your question there's some resistance that I have around that. So yes, my dad, whenever I was a kid and I showed any sort of exuberance, creativity, thinking outside the box, he would label me as being manic. I was 12, 13 fucking years old. I was just being a kid that was discovering the world and open to spirituality and meditation as a young kid. And he said I was manic. And so that I've been fighting that my whole life, right? And so I was diagnosed young, like at 13, as clinically depressed. And, and I have definitely had some mood swing stuff. When I finally, I don't know how long ago, maybe it was in the mid to early 2000s, I saw a nurse practitioner who finally gave me the diagnosis of bipolar, not otherwise specified. Mm. So not one, not type one or two this is the we don't really know what you are we're going to call it this it's it's not even in the dsm-5 it's not a diagnosis that exists anymore right. and at that point i had not even discovered that i probably have a complex of post-traumatic stress so, which closely resembles what you know bipolar disorder can look like right. so i have not experienced the rapid cycling or you know, this, if anything, I've been 
uh, I've felt anxious most of my life, which manifests as depression. I have been somebody who um, would take criticism extremely personally and have some pretty severe mood swings in and around that because to me, rejection was triggering and reminded me of that I was unsafe. And uh, <laughs> I, but I didn't know this stuff. So I started taking medication for bipolar disorder. I've been taking like um, Depakote. I've taken all kinds of meds. I won't even go through the whole list, but mm. I've been taking Depakote and I've taken Seroquel and Lamotrigine and you know yada yada. Mm -hmm. I'm in the process actually with my doctor right now of uh, was it titrating off of everything because yeah. my lifestyle has changed so much and my paradigm around my diagnosis. I don't, I, I've been taking a subtherapeutic level of medication for years. It's not even the lowest dose they normally give you. It's way below. And so yeah. it begs the question, do I need it? Yes, it's stigmatizing as hell. It reminds me of my dad. I, I, I hear all that in my head rattling around. And at the same time, very much about my lifestyle and spiritual beliefs, being able to embrace those parts of myself that might be otherwise labeled as a diagnosis so absolutely i mean i think that i'm well i know that jude and i are on the same page we both were diagnosed but i don't i mean unless jude started taking medication since the since his vacation <laughs> we've both been off yeah, of medication CBD. for a long time <laughs> maybe a little psilocybin <laughs> Just CBD. That's the only thing. Yeah, love the CBD. Yeah, um, because yeah, my from my studies of trauma, my my sense really is that bipolar is more of us. Really, is a hypersensitivity, you know, a broad spe spectrum, and that the bipolar part of it is really not being able to manage or or to surf that spectrum in a in a, a mm -hmm. sort of a, a safe way for ourselves and for other people and so mm -hmm. you know exploring spirituality you know community all of the good things um is is a way of of managing and 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 thriving within that spectrum it doesn't need to be diagnosed through i only started really outing myself as a coach because i know so many people out there are are needing mm -hmm. help you know they they are firmly ensconced in their diagnosis and they they think oh there's no way for me to really live a normal life i'm always going to be harnessed to this particular way of being you know always medicalized always you know following the doctor's orders and not really having so much their own agency so that, but mm -hmm. what sort of spiritual tools have you found particularly um helpful for you um large doses of lsd no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> only the what natural works? time yeah, right? yeah, okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah it actually right. works yeah <laughs> i I've, I, I'm not kidding, actually. <laughs> so, it, okay, so it's been a journey for me, and as it always will be. Um, I mean, I, I have a daily practice of meditating and mindfulness and journaling, and I do participate in community, you know, with uh, mutual aid support groups, you know, that kind of stuff, exercise. Um, 
I mean, it all started for me definitely with the uh, the twelve step fellowship. You know, that introduced me to it. But then I've always been a seeker, and so I gravitated towards the teachings of like Tara Brock. Um, I love her. She saved my life. I mean, she gave me permission to feel my feelings and learn how to be mindful of them, you know? Um, and so I listened to a lot of her. I started, you know, like I said, meditating. And um, I mean, I have a singing bowl that I use. Um, I, I'm pretty woo, you know? I, 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 I've been told I might be an omniist or an omnist. I don't know. It's uh, many paths to God. I think it's all connected. You know, we are all God. You know, I could go deep here if I wanted into our my spiritual outlook. Um, but it's really trying to be inclusive and recognizing that we are all one energy. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and that and that helps uh, tremendously. Um, I think the practice of self reflection of uh of having mentors you know and and talking with people uh really just the process of being and 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 i joked about the psychedelics but that actually was a turning point for me too is in 2020 and part of 2021 you know i was i had at one point 10 years of sobriety in aa and i started working on my trauma and i was so focused on that that became my identity and it's all I could see. And I was miserable and I was scared. I had this, this business and a house on a hill and a marriage. And I was terrified of being an imposter and losing it all. And, you know, I, I was poking the stick at those childhood wounds and uh, started going to ACA, that's uh, Adult Children of Alcoholics, working on the trauma stuff. And um, I, I just, I went down into the pit and somebody suggested I smoke marijuana. And I'm one of those people, unfortunately, that when I smoke marijuana, what ends up happening after a couple of weeks is I become very anxious and it started leading to panic attacks. And then everything I was afraid of happened. I lost the business. I lost the marriage. I became suicidal and all that stuff. So as I was coming out of that, I had some profound spiritual experiences during meditation, you know, visions of my grandfather, uh, my step grandfather that I was very close to, and he became kind of a symbol excuse me, my higher power. And I started to feel like I was opening up to where I could feel loved. And um, anyway, I just had this idea that I needed to go deeper and psychedelics were probably going to be the the route. And eventually, after a year or two of just kind of like thinking about it and kind of wondering if it was ever going to show up, then they just started showing up in my life. And um, <clears throat> pardon my cough <clears throat> and I you know I found I was living in California at the time and I found a guy that was going to be able to do some journey work for me as a clinician but you know he was in Santa Barbara and he was going to charge me a couple thousand dollars to sit all day in his freaking office on MDMA I was like well I work in the mental health system I don't make enough money to <laughs> do that mm-hmm. so I ended up somehow though just finding people that were able to provide me with some and I spent several evenings over the course of six months with uh, alpha wave meditation music on laying in the dark with blindfolds on and I just kind of went there Mm -hmm. Uh, I took what people call heroic doses because yes I did want to see God (laughs) and uh, and I cried you know I I 
in the, the message that kept coming to me the last several times that I um, journeyed was this overwhelming feeling of being surrounded by love, love and connectivity to everything, that I was safe, that I've always been loved, that I am love, and that my thoughts are really just these illusions that I create in order to try to attempt to control the experience of just being because I'm afraid to just let the F go. And after seeing that like three or four times uh, with also some very colorful things that I could describe maybe in another podcast, <laughs> um, I was like, okay, you've eaten enough mushrooms. <laughs> you've taken enough acid. You're, you're, you're done. You're cooked. You, you've seen what you came to see. And it's basically is that uh, I'm already there. I'm, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I love Ram Dass talked about, you know, that, yeah, psychedelics are great. You can use that as a shortcut, you know, to a spiritual experience, but the, the one that sustains you is through meditation. And so that's been my experience. And I haven't felt like I need to do them since. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like for me, I mean, I've considered there was one program where I considered going into like it was a it was an addiction type program, but they were very much like no drugs at all, you know, um, and my addiction is more romance addiction um, or codependency. And I, I you know, I was like, do I really like this program? I like the leader, you know, the, the whole, cause it's, it combines yoga with, you know, the, the AA stuff, you know? Mm. Um, so it's a nice kind of hybrid of spiritual exploration, but more through Kundalini. And it's, it's mm -hmm. a beautiful program, but they're very strict about the whole, like, I don't even know if they approve of actual, you know, pharmaceutical medication, which we know is drugs as well anyway. So it, it makes sense that they would have that hard line. Um, but I still like, I, you know, I haven't tried mushrooms, but marijuana affects me in a, in, in giving me trips or it, it, if I have a little bit of low mood that I feel like might be sliding into depression, um, you know, I'll, I'll have an edible and that'll pop me out. And I'm like, Hey, if I can do something one time, that's not harmful to my body, why not do that mm -hmm. instead of signing myself up to a life lifelong course of, you know, meds. So it sounds mm -hmm. like you were using it as a tool, like, like the indigenous people use it as a tool. They're not taking the magic mushrooms or, you know, every day unless perhaps they're a shaman, but other than that, yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm very interested in the shamanic lifestyle and it was very intentional and spiritual. Yeah. I would do it on a new moon. I would write out a note and put it on my altar of exactly mm. what I was trying to accomplish. Yeah. I mean, I would do a tarot reading while I was on it. You know, I mean, it was very much about opening myself up to the universe and finding the flow. Um, and, you know, a, a video that actually was a turning point for me along kind of all these lines is called Crazy Wise. And it's yeah. about how you've seen it. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. Where it's this, you know, snapshot of how the Western world's view of people who live with certain diagnoses is harming them more than if they were celebrated as these spiritual people, you know, uh, 
so yeah when i started when i saw that video i was just like okay we're we're taking a different route oh and side note i just want to say i've been a member of coda for about four years and i went to slaa for quite a while too i don't know if you're familiar with that program but i definitely ident identify as a love addict or romance addict so mm -hmm. anyway yeah. just to bring it around because you shared that yeah yeah there's all sorts of th i mean the thing is i i have a a looser feeling about addiction in the sense of I see it as a coping strategy that comes from our, our trauma. Like Pete, mm -hmm. I, I found retroactively CPTSD for my own childhood experiences and going, mm -hmm. wait a minute. And then understanding how, like with the polyvagal theory of, you know, how you calm mm -hmm. your system and everything. I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. So these different attachment styles and these different even these addictions are just self-soothing techniques. And if I can find something mm -hmm. that's healthy, you know, um, that's not disrupting my life, um, then that's, I'll become addicted to that, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, the addiction really is more of like, that it's, it's pushing you into a point where it's unhealthy. That's what it is. It, it's, it's gone beyond the coping strategy. So, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, if somebody understands that, hey, you know, I like I I drink every once in a while, but I'm not I've never been much of a drinker. Um, I think from seeing my father being addictive, that just turned me off in a certain way. I, I just always knew that I'd be coming back to the problem and I just I, I couldn't mm -hmm. see the logic of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. When I sit in AA meetings and I tell them, I'm like, I don't know about you folks, but drinking was my solution. You know, <laughs> it was a spiritual experience. I get some weird looks, you know, but absolutely. Yeah, it was the best we could do with what we had. Right. I mean, we're, we're driven by a pleasure center in our mind to avoid pain. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's not our fault, you know. So letting go of the blame part has yeah. been huge. Exactly. Well, I was just thinking of what I am addicted nowadays. Can't find anything. Creativity. <clears throat> Podcasting. <laughs> Podcasting. Podcasting. Yes, that's, that's exactly. Podcasting. That's you, Jude. Yeah. This is your third podcast. Okay. Addiction. This is my third. Podcast. That's right. <laughs> I huge addiction towards it. <laughs> That's crazy. I didn't realize. Thank you so much. <laughs> we actually were. This is an intervention. <laughs> yeah. I am a podcaster. Yeah. I am a podcaster. I can stop anytime. Yeah. <laughs> but that is crazy. Like, that, that is just because I've been addicted to so many things, not just the drugs itself. Like, romance has happened to you, Lila. Um, been addicted with acceptance the fact that i wanted to be accepted by someone um but nowadays like probably because i study it and you know be also an addiction constantly you can see some sides of it i just look and i'm like am and i ask myself am i addicted to something probably my only addiction is the curiosity towards life that could be you know 
You know, like I think... there is a constant. I'm a constant like trying to um, learn what I have inside of me. They can be really tiring. <laughs> can be really tiring, but it's actually an addiction because when I wake up and I feel bad or I don't feel it's a good day for the entire day, I ask myself, "What is going on? What is going on? What happened? What happened? What happened? What happened?" To the point to actually touch my mental health and have all this um, hyperactivity or laziness or whatever it is. Yeah, is that I, I, I can? Oh. Yeah, self exp. It's almost like forceful self analysis, analysis or exploration yeah. instead of just like being, yeah. you know, and saying, "Okay, so yeah. this is what's going on." Okay. This is that yeah. day. This is yeah. that kind of day, you know. Yeah, there is, and there is not the answer that I want. <laughs> 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 Why I am can, like this? Yeah. Why I'm feeling this way? I can relate to that though. I've had somebody who appreciates psychology and you know triggers and cause and effect. Yeah, I can get definitely hung up on going down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out why. And I think Leela hit it on the head there. Like the other day, I, a couple of weeks ago, I was really resentful at somebody and I just kept on going over and over in my head. Why am I resentful? Oh, I'm afraid of this. I'm, I'm projecting my blah, blah, blah on them. I'm this, that. And it's like, I knew the why, but it wasn't making it go away. So finally, I just got to this point of surrender. I was like, okay, like Leela just said, this is the, that day. I'm just going to feel freaking resentful and petty and there's nothing i can do about it so just freaking feel it and then it went away you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah byron katie's very good about um just if you have a you're you're experiencing something and then you have an opinion about it and they're like okay so is this opinion how would you feel if you didn't have that opinion so if you're like feeling a certain kind of way and you're like i don't want to feel this way it's like well what if you just <laughs> you know you just let go of that opinion of how you wanted to feel and just feel it and mm -hmm. and and not it's that what what will you resist persists you kind of thing persists. because yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and it's like okay or sometimes i mean i've mentioned a number of times on the podcast of of this long grief journey there are certain things you just can't escape you know i and so i i i've really had to deepen into my surrender because i just cannot escape grief sometimes you know i'll i'll be i'll be looking at my my pet or something and i'll just start crying for whatever reason i don't know and i just have to like let it mm -hmm. go and then maybe as much as like a half an hour but usually it's a couple of minutes and then i'm i'm okay but it's just it, it's that surrender and just like understanding mm -hmm. okay this is just part of um life experience and and dave you and i are in that the the mastermind like business group where faith mm -hmm. is often saying, you know, we're just humans having human feelings. It's it's not that big mm -hmm. a deal. You know, we're making a bigger right. deal than it needs to be. 
my, my new favorite saying is, but did you die? <laughs> yeah, I wrote a blog entry recently about kind of tying everything to being fundamentally a fear of death, you know, and that kind of wakes me up a little bit. It's like, okay, so I'm just afraid of dying. Am I dying? No. Okay, move on. <laughs> but, but at the same time, we're dying all the time like we're 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 yeah. reinventing ourselves for instance it's it sounds like you jude and i have reinvented ourselves so many times that it's almost like we're we've lived <laughs> we lived many lives so in a sense we've like died David, within like lila lila had <laughs> a huge i think that she had probably a huge population of experience <laughs> because every time that you talk with her, she's like, yeah, but I did this. I'm like, when? <laughs> How's that possible? <laughs> like, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. Every time she comes in, oh, I dance flamenco. And I'm like, when, when, how come? <laughs> like, and it's just, I did this and this, that. Wow. It's just wow. <laughs> She yeah. accessed the multiverse and astrally travels, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> she has like more lives than cats, you know what I mean? <laughs> that's why I really relate to cats. No, well, I think that's the that's part of me living an unmedicated bipolar life. I just let it fly. I just yeah. let I just did yeah. what I wanted to do and it was fine and I wasn't hurting anybody. Yeah. But I think when you have this no, sort of what yeah wide energetic spectrum you want to like take life and live it to the fullest even if it means the dark side you know mm -hmm. so, oh, yeah, yeah that's for sure yeah um yeah, totally agree i'm looking at the questions here have we come oh yes so with your new venture <laughs> as a a coach uh what what sort of um, solutions are you offering like your your unique solutions for for the world and your clientele? Well, if people send me one million dollars, I'll fix them. No, <laughs> <laughs> so, Does that sound like a great deal? No. Uh, yeah, I am with you next to you. <laughs> Waiting for that. Give me let me get my checkbook out. But wait, Let's do half more. half. <laughs> okay, so so here's here's the the shtick uh, is that <clears throat> for a long time I wanted to be a trauma therapist and I've given up on uh, going back to school, going into more student loan debt, uh, working in a broken system for another five years before I could have a my own private practice. So the life coach thing, what it I'm going to answer your question, but I want to kind of talk about the genesis of it a little bit. So yeah it because it, it's it's by journey and it uh anyway so like i've said before i've been working on my trauma for quite a while i've gone to therapy i've you know done emdr i've obviously done psychedelics i've gone to 12-step i've done a lot and i kept poking at it and poking at it and poking at it and one of the recurring themes in my life is self-pity and making excuses in my life now back at the end of january i started going to crossfit now this is not an endorsement for crossfit it, but it's it's intense and i like really dove in and i've been going basically like five six days a week since the beginning of february 
and I've lost like 15 pounds and become way in shape and stronger and I'm eating healthier and I'm drinking water, like a gallon of water a day. And I just have this drive. Well, somebody suggested to me that, and it was very empowering to do that. Okay. It's something I've been wanting to do for a while. Um, I was listening to, somebody suggested that I listen to this book on Audible by a guy named David Goggins, who wrote Can't Hurt Me. See, Leela knows. Okay. And, you know, his basic deal is that he had a horribly traumatic childhood, horribly traumatic childhood. I mean, like super graphic, disgusting shit. And he was somebody who uh, wanted to become a Navy SEAL and he went through their training like three times and he did these remarkable things. And now he's like this ultra marathon runner and runs like 200 mile races and does these ungodly feats. And when I first started listening to his book, he was saying shit that pissed me off. It was like, nobody's coming to rescue you. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. You know, if people are saying you're fat, then maybe you're fucking fat. You know, and I was just like, dude, you can't say that shit. You know, and if if you're but not doing did. what you want, then you're fucking lazy. Yeah. And I was just like, and then after a while of listening to him, I was like, you know what? I have been making excuses for myself and blaming my father and feeling sorry for myself and doing all of these self-love meditations and prayer and you know all this stuff for years and I'm still stuck. So maybe it's time for me to do some of the things he's suggesting, get an accountability mirror. I got a mirror and I started writing all these things down on sticky notes. I started holding myself to this higher level of uh, expectations to where like I don't hit snooze anymore. You know, I, I get up at 4.30 in the morning. I, I do these crazy things. And I've learned through physically working out that there's this point in working out where you get tired and your body hurts. You're like, I can't do this anymore. And I discovered through listening to him that it's a mind game. You can push yourself past where you think you're done and actually go further. He calls it the 40% rule but anyway and by learning how to do that by routinely pushing myself physically because it's just the mind game i've developed more resiliency to my own feelings in life in general and so it was like this light bulb went off and it was like i want to help people who have been stuck working on their freaking trauma for fucking years and don't feel like they've really made that much progress. They still are pretty easily triggered. They're still not going after their dreams. They're still making excuses for themselves and feeling negative most of the time because that was me. So I kind of, what I call my shtick is sort of like trauma informed care meets David Goggins. You know, it's this kind of like, it's called, you know, Greenleaf for Life, you know, because it's about living. And I, my little subtext is Thrive Beyond Trauma. Now, I know somebody already wrote a book called Thrive Beyond Trauma, so I'm not going to probably be able to market that. But that's the point is that I want to help people who are basically sick and tired of being sick and tired, have done all the damn therapy that they want to do <laughs> and are ready to just kind of get in the mirror, slap themselves in the face a little bit and get out of the funk. It's not a judgment against people who are still discovering that they're in trauma or are heavily freaking traumatized and triggered easily and have panic attacks and are going to keep in that mode. 
this is for the people that are ready to just let that go and write their new narrative. Be the hero in your own life, you know. When he when he said in that book, nobody's coming to rescue you, I, I felt so convicted. I was just like, oh my God, I'm 46 years old and I'm waiting for somebody to fucking rescue me, you know, and it's not going to happen. So if I want to have success, so that's the, the fire, you know, behind it. It's this passion. So the way I write that blog, it, it's kind of like a coach, you know, sort of asshole tone. I mean, there's some humor, there's some sensitivity, there's some understanding a lot of about relationships and codependency and my journey, but it's a call to action. You know, I, I needed to hear David Goggins when I heard David Goggins. I, I may not have been ready to hear that a couple of years ago. And I certainly resisted it when I first heard it. I was like, fuck this guy, you know? <laughs> and, but I kept listening and I was like, wait a second, maybe he's onto something. So there you go. That's the long answer. Yeah. <laughs> so what I offer, what I offer, what I offer is I'm I'm willing to get into the weeds with people, find out what their fucking goals are, their dreams. What are your barriers? And really, it's like a lot of what faith does. It's mindset stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And I've been kind of dragging people along in the gym. I have this friend that she is somebody who struggles with her own weight and self-esteem and stuff like that. And she's freaking killing it. I give her so much encouragement. I was at a, I'll say this to be quiet. I was at a CrossFit competition. You're the and... guest. You don't have to be quiet. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, I, go yeah, for I'll it. Just talk. Thank you. Um, that's the dad shame. No, anyway. No. <laughs> See, I don't talk too much. They want to hear me. Anyway. Um, <laughs> no, anyway. I was at a CrossFit competition. And it was like the first one I'd really done. And the the way that people rallied around each other and were cheering each other on, I mean, it, it makes me kind of emotional to think about it. There was this one woman who she was clearly, and, and this is not a judgment about body shape or ability or whatever. She, she was just overweight and not, not as in shape as some of the other people. And she was there and she was the last one in this event and was still pushing through these damn sit-ups. And like this whole room of like 80 people were just all focused on her and just cheering her on. And I don't know if she was ready to stop, but she kept going. And I have had coaches in that environment where I thought I was gonna stop fucking just screaming my name and pushing energy and belief into me to where I could rise above my own mental and physical limitations. And when I got a small taste of that, I was like, there's some magic here. And so, yeah, I wasn't encouraged as a fucking kid, but I see the power of what encouragement does for other people. You know, it is, it is to encourage someone is to give them heart you know i mean yeah and so to me the the opposite of addiction is connection and 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 i think that we get addicted to our own scripts so that we are not good enough and we have these limiting beliefs because for whatever reason self-pity feels safer and and i just got to the point where i was just so fucking sick of my own excuses and self-pity 
and I figured other people must feel this way. And I tapped into this energy of encouragement and I was like, there's something huge out here. And I'm tired of leading the life that Henry David Thoreau says that most men lead lives of quiet desperation. I am, I am letting go of the, the, the limiting belief that my dad gave me that I'm manic and that why do I start things because I'll never finish them. You know, I am a dreamer. I am, I have a lot of energy and I am vibrating in a very fucking high vibration <laughs> and, and it's contagious. Yeah. And I see that with the people around me. And so I'm like, okay, this is what I'm meant to do. I, I, I cannot work in a, a broken mental health system pissed off all the time because I feel ineffective. Right. I, and I'm going to tell you this, this coaching thing, you know, I, so I'm going to offer people the chance to tap into the fucking energy they already have within them. Yeah. I'm just going to show them that they have everything they already need. And, and with success of this, as I become somebody who has some following and starts writing books and you know i'm going to leverage my white male privilege and audience to affect some social change i've done a lot of writing on some of the fucking shit that needs to change in this country nay i say the world but i'm a revolutionary leela and you yeah. know say it out loud and for proud. a very long time <laughs> yeah yeah i what did the joker say in the first batman movie the this town needs an enema you know <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> i uh i have a mission and it, i call it my sacred calling i i get that from my astrology you know it's mm -hmm. i'm not meant well-behaved people rarely make history and i'm done fucking behaving and playing by the rules so there you go. That's that's the, the mission. That's the dream, the vision. <laughs> well, sounds great. I mean, uh, I even if one thing, one little thing that made me think about how powerful, you know, physical work is, because I, you know, I started, I guess yoga was really, you know, yoga and meditation, but is just that when we're feeling physical pain, when we're doing exercise, there's a certain neutrality about it. But when we're feeling the same sensations in our body, but we attribute it to an emotional, you know, like that exhilaration after a run or something could be manic or like getting pumped up could be manic or just that after, you know, uh, could be considered depressed, but it's just, it's just the body doing its stuff, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and once you understand that kind of how your body operates, that allows you to be more neutral about sort of your emotional kind of activations that are going on. I mean, that's, you know, that's been my experience at least. Mm-hmm absolutely there's a flow there's an ebb and flow you know and we they talk about riding the waves you know and yeah so no i i, I like what you just said 
that helps to normalize the experience that we might otherwise pathologize you know it's this oh my god i feel uncomfortable i'm down i'm i'm sad I, there's something wrong no that's the fucking flow <laughs> it's, there's the cycle of life and death you know we breathe in and we breathe out you know? right. it's we just need to pull out our surfboards and start surfing the experience <laughs> absolutely yeah. well and and even further recognize that we are the fucking ocean yeah you know? <laughs> <I mean. laughs> exactly exactly a huge ocean mm. massive with <laughs> massive right. waves exactly yeah yeah so, so is there uh, any inspiring less... david yeah yeah, incredibly. No, it was really inspiring because I, I I like the way that you talk about being a life coach. Um, Lila knows I hate all that shit about, you know, <laughs> close your eyes, everything will be fine. No, nothing will be fine. You just need to deal. It's you just need hard. to go deep. <laughs> to deep. Like and I was saying this yesterday, I don't remember to who. Um the problem of the holistic world today is the promises. So you think that you are doing loads of um exercise, tools, yoga, this and this and that, not understanding that you need to use that tool at the deepest in you and not to cover the situation itself. Because in the end of the day, you can do as many yoga lessons you want, many meditation, but if you keep covering that, things will pop up suddenly. And then mm -hmm. you'll be like, oh my God, yeah, why? Nothing is working. Yeah, nothing is working because you don't go deep. Mm -hmm. in all that parts in that. So I, I, I really appreciate and I really love what you said about what you do and what you want to give to the world. And this is not revolutionary, it's much more the evolution of how a holistic world is supposed to be. There mm -hmm. is too many people out there that just say crap. You know, like you come and do in six days, you're going to have 6K, whatever it is, or in six days, you're going to. No, you don't like it's impossible, because if that was the answer, we would probably all be rich. We would probably all be really balanced in our life and on all of that. Instead, if you are honest with you and as a coach, you just say, look, my dear, you are, that is fucked up like, <laughs> <laughs> and do. <laughs> that it changes someone, that it really changes someone, you know, that it really make them understand. And I do remember once I said to one of my clients, you don't need to love your mother. It's not because society say that you need to love a parent that you need to love a parent. If you don't love her, you don't love her. What, what is the problem? You know, and she said to me, oh, but don't say that. I was like, yes, I'm saying that because you have that choice. Mm -hmm. And that is the first thing that you said. I, I'm not stuck. I have choices, mm -hmm. and you're just taking the choices and going through that. So thank you so much, David, for that was really inspiring. What you said about your practice and what you do when you blog, and I do love also your posts on Instagrams and reels and all of that because they are powerful. Thank you. I appreciate it, Jude. That's yeah. some great feedback. <laughs> My pleasure. Yeah. So now that you're 
unleashing yourself onto the world. <laughs> <laughs> Inflicting myself on the general public. Yeah. Um, Watch out, world. <laughs> um, do you have any special things you want to promote beyond your blog or any kind of vision of programs or offerings or just come on and see what happens kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, this is still in such the uh, inception stage. Yeah, I've been at this a month, you know, a month and nine days. And um, so it's, I don't have any clients yet. I have been developing a following on the blog, and which I'm very happy with. I, I love writing it. I write it five days a week. And it's part of my own spiritual practice. And so it's wonderful. As far as down the road, what I've been sort of visualizing is I really would like to create a community, you know, of folks with mutual aid. Um, I mean, I'm willing to do one-on-one -on -one coaching, but I don't want that to be the only thing that I'm doing because to be honest with you, I, I don't know that I will be able to support myself unless I'm charging people exorbitant amounts of money for an hour of services, you know? And so I'm thinking more along the lines of some sort of courses, but definitely like accountability groups, you know, yeah. um, I think that having, you know, kind of like what Faith does, uh, and I've seen other people do, you know, where we meet once or twice a week via, mm -hmm. you know, Facebook Live or uh, Zoom. I, I'm open to creating some courses. I'm still going through Faith's uh, mastermind modules to kind of really, like this week, conceptualize exactly what I want to do. And I know it's fluid. I'll change probably as time goes. I mean, my passion really is one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. But I would love to get up in front of a group of people and do a freaking TED talk. I mean, yeah. they might yeah. they might throw me in prison after I get up there for some of the <laughs> shit I'll say. <laughs> I'll do it once. Anyway. Well, if it's I, only I want to reach large audiences. <laughs> if it's only one night then uh um there's no bad PR. That would be a great PR stunt. <laughs> yeah exactly the yeah. first guy that went to jail for telling a ted talk right <laughs> right yeah exactly so yeah uh, that's that's kind of what's going on I've, i'm waiting for somebody to reach out to me and say hey i really vibe with what you're saying what can you do for me and then i'm gonna just go from there you know yeah. I, I i believe strongly that the universe provides us everything we need at the right moment the right people come at the right time mm -hmm. um i'm already my success is inevitable you know all the stuff faith talks about and it's I, creative ideas come to me easily and so i'm not trying to chase dollars you know i'm not trying to get everybody to send me their email so that i can sell them a seven dollar trinket you know I, <laughs> I i want some people who are fucking fired up that want to change their lives and yeah join my cult i mean my <laughs> i had a girlfriend I, I had a girlfriend tell me that if i ever started a cult she would definitely be a member <laughs> anyway. maybe you should just put it there it's like uh no where uh, the no victim cult <laughs> That's it. Exactly. Yeah. We are the volunteers. We are not yeah. the victims. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I'm, I'm there as well. You know, it's, 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 it takes a lot of, uh, drive and persistence and strategy to start one's business, but 
Uh, I think what's most important is that fire and that that clarity of mission. So I I see mm. that in you. Rah 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 <laughs> from the sidelines. With, yeah. You know, happy to work with you in the future. Yeah. So, but um, yeah. I'll have to have you you all on my podcast. I'm going to be recording my third episode tomorrow, and then I'll actually go and find a platform to host it and get it out there on the in the ether, you know. But yes, mm -hmm. I would love to have the two of you reconvene oh, you. sometime. Yeah, that'd be yeah. great. Talk, that'd be great. Talk about the Not hundreds right. of. That's cool. We could talk about the hundreds of things that you've done, Leela, while you were astrally traveling in the multiverse with your nine lives. That would be like one week episode. Be careful what you ask for. Yeah, be careful. Well, it's been like, uh, I, I, I know that we that we talked uh, that we mentioned the blog itself, but can you give also the socials and yeah. uh, your email or whatever contact you want to give to people that are listening? We're gonna put on details, but you know, it's good that sure. comes from you. So the blog, like Leela said in the beginning, you know, is is Green Leaf, the number four, and then Life dot b l o g um my instagram handle is at greenleaf underscore four underscore life and uh tiktok is where i start my videos and then i just blast them on instagram and facebook so instagram or i mean tiktok is just at greenleaf for life with the number four i can't get that as a website though apparently it's been taken nobody's gonna i could change it to a y greenleaf for life with a y but i yeah it's why waste the time and the money i already have the site. so anyway um i'm thinking about calling the blog or the podcast uh, greenleaf for life's mastermind theater um <laughs> that's kind of a mouthful that sounds good but it, yeah i it's been rolling off the tongue lately and it makes me laugh so i just call it <laughs> most of what i do is to entertain myself to tell you the truth which is probably not the best uh, quality but um so yeah, those are the things. My email is david at greenleafforlife.com or yeah, David. Uh, no, it's the blog, david at greenleafforlife.blog. I think that's the email. Otherwise it's davidgreenleafforlife at gmail.com. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. I've got it. I've got a few. <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> emailing them anyway, so, <laughs> except for Leela. <laughs> Well, not for the moment. You never know. Yes. That's definitely. Yes. Yes. I, I just like talking to an imaginary audience. It oh, just well, tickles that's the shit out of me. I, I, I imagine that there really is somebody out there listening, and I get feedback on the blog. So it's, there are people listening. Yeah. But, um, yeah. They are. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Fun. I mean, it's it's a it's a a long haul. We're putting we're basically putting out that energy. You know, and it, it, it needs to be amplified. Yeah. It, it, it needs to be amplified and yeah. you just keep on doing it because, I mean, look at the media, the, the regular media. They're saying the same damn thing over and over and over again on like <laughs> bazillion channels. At so least we're crazy. saying something a little bit new. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah yeah you know and your message david is on in the honest message so yes. definitely 
Yeah. People, if you are listening, go and check him because yeah. believe me, what he said is not what a life coach would say to you. Right. Normally. <laughs> no, only abnormally. <laughs> That's what I strive for, Abby Normal. Okay. So. Yeah. Well, we're 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 pulling in the people that feel abnormal, so it's totally on brand. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah well, completely. And, and, and you know the thing is, I'll say this is that you know, so uh, normal, in my opinion, is the majority, right? Right. And the majority the majority of folks are i think dysfunctional in as much mm -hmm. as that they're not in touch with their own feelings and they're not yeah. able to sit and hold space or recognize other people's feelings so right. really to be normal is to be fucked up exactly. so um <laughs> boom yeah i mean I'm the in. more I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in the most beautiful spiritual way, of course. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I I think true craziness is. It, uh, who was it? There was I I I forget the person. Um, adapting to a crazy system is not a um a reflection of sanity. I, I I'm paraphrasing it, but basically. Yeah, it's a crazy fucked up system. So why would we want to be able to flourish in that system? So yeah, I it it's all there. Well, thank you so much, David. Yay for coming, spending your time, oh, your your energy, your drive, your inspiration, and all of that. And uh, you know, we wish you the best. You'll be uh, thank you so much yeah thank you for the invite i was humbled and touched and super excited about this my my face hurts from smiling and laughing Aww. which is <laughs> great you know uh it's it's good pain <laughs> so you two are beautiful spirits and i applaud what you're thank doing you. with this podcast keep doing what you're doing you have wonderful energy thank you thank you thank yeah you. yeah takes one to know one right <laughs> that's right <laughs> So good energy. Yeah, he's a he he's he's great for having a, a solo podcast. Yeah. A lot of good things to say. I think that it takes a lot of courage to come and to and talk about really deep things about his life, the journey and yeah. how he managed to stand up but also a lot of courage to give for me like what why he was explaining what he does as a life coach it was truly expiring because he was singing just the truth he was right like totally honest with the message and clear with the message that he wants to give to people and he wants to how he wants to help how he wants to um create a journey, a new journey to someone that lived uh, literally a traumatic situation as he lived. We know me and you, we, we've been through a lot of crazy shitty things as well. But if you look to in general, to the life coaching world, you do have people that they do life, they are life coach just because they have money to do it and instead there are people as us that we went through really shitty things yeah uh, to achieve 
in there, you know, so we can give our personal experience. Exactly. Working from the life coach things, but giving our experience saying, you know, I've been this, I've been that, I've done this, I've done that. And look at me now, how I am powerful. And his message for me was just, you know, amazing. It was totally amazing. Yeah, yeah. Just, it's so important that life experience bit where you just feel that authenticity just radiating and that yeah. energy because i think a lot of people that have gone through difficult circumstances life events trauma abuse they have this idea that they're weak but that's not at all true it's if you are able yeah. to survive yeah. and thrive on the other side of that you have a huge reservoir of strength that he's showing through his CrossFit, no bullshit approach to life coaching. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Totally that's fantastic. Agree. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, it was just so, an, another amazing episode. <laughs> so, so Jude, where can they find us? <laughs> So they can find us everywhere, meaning <laughs> that we are in all podcast platforms. So you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Encos, Teachers, anywhere. But if you wanted to connect with us and talk with us and send a message to us, you can go to our Instagram page. Well, I didn't tell to, well, I didn't tell I was saying something else. What I, what I didn't tell my therapist, and in there you can connect with me and Lila. But in case you can also check my Instagram, that is Jude underscore Gorini, and also your Lila, that is my piece of sanity, isn't it? Yes, my piece of sanity is. Or my... you changed? Huh? What? <laughs> no, I'm like, did you change? <laughs> no, 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 no. That's the same. Uh, at some point, I'm going to start a TikTok for for uh, what I didn't tell my therapist. And my website is leeladavis.com and yours is Healing with Jude. So mine at the moment, or no. mine at the moment is... Um, so um, I just need to update. So it, that if you put healingwithjude.com, you can't find anything anymore. Oh, okay. But uh, it's I'm just changing. <laughs> it's interesting. You're always yeah. evolving, becoming a, a new you constantly. <laughs> yeah, it's like, sorry, but I am God. <laughs> <laughs> we, yes, well, uh, move over. I'm God too, so... <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much everybody for joining us and uh we love you Mwah, crazy beautiful souls Mwah. yes crazy crazy people bye bye, bye. <laughs>